0: What's going on, everybody? and Welcome back to the First in Tech podcast. I'm your host, Technician Sports Editor Camden Spate. I'm Assistant Sports Editor Jake Acovara. And I'm Assistant Sports Editor Nicholas Schnecker. And today we're going to talk about the Olympic sports, the non-football podcast, if you will, because the other one will just talk about football coming out on Thursday. But before we do that, like we do every episode, we're going to talk about something non-NC State related. And this is an issue that we could talk about for an hour, because I just did. We're going to give the five-minute summary on the NCAA paying student-athletes. And I think in the future, I think it'd be cool to have an entire episode just talking about this topic. But, the five-minute version of that issue, the California just passed um, Senate bill that said that athletes should be able to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. So... You know, other states are probably going to follow suit like they already have. And it's going to be a real major problem for the NCAA, considering that is the basis of like their, you know, nonprofit organization is up upholding the amateurism of college sports
1: so i I agree with the way California's doing it, but not the way you worded it. I don't think the NCAA should pay athletes. I think they should be able to make money off their likeness and their image. But the NCAA or their school themselves shouldn't pay them. I just think that's a little different when you think about it, because then you would end up with a lot of schools being like, we'll give you this much money to come here. Whereas if it's the image thing, that's still possible for something like that to happen. And of course, it would need to be monitored and regulated. But I think it's less likely for you to get kind of the way certain teams are, where it's just like, oh, we can just pay more, so we'll get all the best players.
2: Yeah, I think—now, I do like it. I I am totally in favor of it. I agree. I do think, at the same time, for the most part, there will be exceptions, but I think the bigger schools will get the best players still because I think what will happen is you'll see an Alabama football booster yeah, who owns, say, a local car dealership and is a millionaire, close to billionaire, whatever— What you'll see is they'll give an endorsement to a player of millions of dollars to, say, appear in one television commercial, which, obviously, the price of appearing that commercial standard, the standard would not be in the millions or whatever, but the boosters will do it, and I'm okay with that because I think, again, if a person, if a human being... Wants to make money off of themselves, mm-hmm. they should be allowed to. If that's, that's their
0: value. Yeah, it should, should be allowed. Your value to do is, that. is what yeah. you get paid. I,
1: I think there should be some sort of regulation on it to the point where, you know, you can't literally pay somebody millions for a single TV ad, but they should be able to make it within a reasonable amount. Maybe
2: like a cap yeah. of how much, maybe yeah. per year, you can I, make I don't in think, endorsements. Not,
1: not like a salary cap in the way that other pro sports do it, but in the sense of the you shouldn't get one team or like one school that's able to pay every single one of their players right. three million dollars a year. Yeah, that's I just agree. not how it should go. Well,
0: but I, it, I think that the I completely agree that the player making money, for instance, Zion Williamson is the prime example yeah. in the last year. He would have made so much money oh, yeah. off of his name in college. I mean, it's just like not even funny. Like, jersey sales is just one thing that he would have just made so much money off of. Being in video games, exactly. commercials. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's something that feels like a no brainer to me. And, you know, that's a pretty good middle ground for now. I think in the long run, there will be some sort of salary wage of some sort mm-hmm. because of just how much money the NCAA makes. And I think that really could be based on, you know, I think New York is actually one of the states that proposed a bill of that sense where Mm -hmm. 15% of the revenue made by the school would go back to the athletes, equal amount over every athlete, which is interesting. But I think what's funny is that when you get into an instance of paying players and you put, say, a a salary cap for each college on how much they can pay Mm -hmm. for like the football program, for instance... I think it actually evens the playing field, yeah. Because someone's going to be like, "Okay, I could go to Bama and be a backup and make this much money, or I could go to NC State and be a starter and actually get paid more because I'm the starter." Yeah. So I think in that instance, it could actually, in some way, even the playing field if we pay them on a salary basis. the,
1: The way the one of the reasons that I don't like the salary idea from the schools or whatnot is I think you'd end up with a lot of smaller schools. If it's like the 15% or whatever, th- that it ruins some of their athletics programs because they simply can't afford to pay everybody. I think that's a very real possibility at smaller schools. Your Bamas, your UNCs, your Dukes, everyone like that are going to be fine to do something well, like well,
0: that. It's like what your definition of smaller school is because like, like even NC State has plenty of money that yeah. I think that they no, can no, do no. that.
1: But NC State is a good athletic but if you're school talking when you look about
0: at like you know, I don't know, App Western State. Carolina yeah, or somewhere. Th- those are
1: the schools I'm looking at that are yeah. like lower D- D1 to like high D2. I think they would probably have problems paying like 15%, which is why I think it should be an outside thing, but still regulated where it's like they can be paid for their image, but they're not going to be paid by the school or by the NCAA.
0: And I think that, you know, it- just there's so much money in sports, mm-hmm. yeah. and it, it's when you look at the numbers and the business side of it, it's just not fair that the student athletes don't get compensated. Right, and people are, say, you know, well they get free education. It's like, well, they some, also some of them do. Yeah, some of them are completely free. Some of them, you know, I'd say I don't know how much, how many, what percentage of athletes are on scholarship, mm-hmm. but you know, most of them are not getting it completely free. And when you have an athlete. I think Richard Sherman actually comments on this. When you have an athlete working to be an athlete in college for so long, like per week, so many hours per week, 30 to 50, whatever it is, you expect them to go study and actually get use of their education? No, absolutely not. They don't have time to do that. I
1: think it was, I remember when, because LeBron commented on this.
0: Yeah, the, Uh, uh, the California governor signed the bill on his show, the shop, Yeah, like signed the bill on the show.
1: And I remember on Twitter when that was trending, reading some stuff, and I think it was from Shabazz Napier, who was really really yeah. good up at UConn, and he said he like couldn't afford a cheeseburger, like he was going hungry certain nights. That's ridiculous, because he just couldn't afford it, because obviously he spends all his time practicing for basketball. No, I- but the school made so much money off of, and the NCAA made so much money off of his ability, his name, his image. He should have at least gotten something. I will say something, seconds. though.
2: That's actually kind of... Obviously, it's not good that he was going hungry, yeah. but it's good that he came out because the NCAA actually, and I think it was two years after, did make a rule about that to where now athletes are, are allowed... They are provided food no matter where they are, no matter what the cost. Like They yeah. are allowed to get food anytime that they need it or yeah. that they want it. So I, 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 I think that's good. Like Obviously, it sucks that he had to suffer, but it ended up being for the greater good and yeah. the NCAA at least changed that rule, but the NCAA still... And, Sucks.
1: I I think people coming out and offering their stories about stuff like this, like athletes that are like, you know, I struggled with, you know, problems with getting food and all that is how this is going to change when you get more people that, you know, because you're going to get guys like Napier coming out that everyone's like, oh, I remember when he played. I remember, you know, watching him play and like loving watching him play. And then they're realizing the other side of that. And I think that's going to be a big kind of push towards it. I think it's going to help a lot.
0: The NCAA overall is in trouble yeah. because these states are going to start passing these laws more like quicker than I think you know most people might realize mm-hmm. because I think both parties, Democrats and Republicans, kind of a- agree on this situation whether it's because of equality or because of you know the economic side, whatever it is, I don't care. But that's why it's been in the news so heavily is because how quickly he was able to do that, and you know. You know, the NCAA has to adapt. It has to change. It doesn't have a choice to change, but to change, you know, even if they go to court and they know they win in court, like there's so much pressure on them to do something about it. And, you know, that's a real major problem. And if the bunch of these states start having different laws and then all of a sudden the NCAA tries to, you know, make a national thing, it's too late because these states, you know, 10 states are different. 10 states have this law and 30 are still under the NCAA rules. It's like, well, how do you change the laws of the other 20 states that already have laws? So, really, the NCAA needs to act and needs to be fast. And, you know, I think in the long run, it'll be really interesting to to watch the story. So, getting off of that, we're going to transition to NC State sports and, you know, some other sports. So, right now, we're going to talk about soccer. And our guy, Nicholas, is here, as always. Our our soccer man is here. We're going to talk about NC State, men's and women's soccer, as well as NCFC and yeah. NC Courage. Um, so let's start with women's soccer and uh, and how they've been doing. So they've kicked off ACC play over the last week. I
1: went to all three games, you know, at Duke, at UNC, at Wake, and they ended up with two points out of a possible nine, which to start ACC play is not great, but it's not terrible because points on the road are so hard to come by in the ACC for people that aren't soccer fans the comparison I like to use is the ACC is for soccer as the SEC is for football it's the soccer conference it's top to bottom really tough when I wrote my takeaways piece on Monday which has a lot of my opinion about this women's soccer team in it um seven of the eight there were seven ACC women's teams. In the NCAA top 25, including the number one ranked team, Virginia, whose state has in a couple, in like a week and a half. So, you know, it's a tough conference. And two points on the road out of nine isn't great, but it's not terrible. And it should have really been six. They were better than Duke. And everyone, the first half, they were not better than Duke. Santoro said something to him at halftime. I don't know what it was, but it worked. They came out and lit him up for the next. 65 minutes, including overtime, and should have won that game.
0: And it seems like the weight game, when I was reading yeah. that recap, it seemed like they were the, the better team the whole way they through. They were.
1: So, not the whole way. They were a better team in the first half. The yeah. three forwards, you've got you know, King, Leah Hall-Robinson, and Jamise Joseph. They're great. You can tell the talent is there with the two freshmen, and the experience and the ability is there for King without a question. And they were pressing really hard. They're all quick. They were pressing so well. Wake came out at halftime, changed formations, lit it up, or did really well for the next 20 minutes of the first half. Got their goal, tied it up. From there, it was one way traffic for State. They hit the post twice, couldn't get it done. And I think part of the problem is that forward line is good, and you know that forward line is good, but it's two freshmen and a senior. This team relies too much on King, to put it frankly. King is amazing, but she literally can't do it all. It's been since September 8th that they have when. That was the last time they scored a goal that wasn't either scored by King or assisted by King.
0: And it seems like, with King being that involved, they just need to find other avenues to score because, and it's hard not to because she's so good. Yeah. But when, you know, when they start doing that and finding other people to score and, you know, to be the playmakers, then that might open King up more. So
1: it is. And I think part of the problem is, is you've got her up top with two freshmen. And of the two freshmen, Jamise Joseph has impressed me the more of the two. She's very similar to King in kind of her play style. She really likes to dribble, and she's really good with the ball at her feet. But there's a few different times where I've seen them kind of get tunnel-visioned. Either they're head down going towards goal, and they try and dribble too many players, and they lose it. Or, you know, they wait just one second too long to shoot. I think that's going to come with time. I think next year, you're going to see Jamise Joseph light it up. But it's just not happening yet this year because she doesn't have the experience. Luckily, though, these three games did see the turn of Maxine Blackwood, who was really good last year up front with King and Rankin. So if you can see her get more minutes, you know, she had a pretty serious injury that kept her out majority of last season. She can start getting more and more minutes, and she'll bring that experience that's needed in the forward line that, you know, well, King's a senior. She's got plenty of experience, but you need more than just one player with experience up
0: there. Yeah. So it seems like women's soccer is really on the brink of like turning it around and like really close to a lot of those losses being wins in Mm -hmm. ACC play. Yeah. And, you know, being the the women's soccer team we thought that NC State could be. So could be and can be. This
1: team has the talent. You know, absolutely. You've got Ricky Walkling, amazing midfielder. You've got a midfielder in Tony Starova who's made 10 caps for her national team, and she's only a sophomore. So, you know, you've got players that have the talent and the ability. Their midfield's fantastic, but it's just stitching it all together and getting everything to come together in at once. When that happens, I think they're going to be great. And I mean, their next game, Boston College, for me, that's a must-win game. It's at home. If they don't win, if they don't take all three points in that game, I'd be really concerned. But I think they will. I believe it's a Saturday or Sunday game, and so you're going to get a crazy crowd at dale like always and i think they'll come out and win that game and then i think virginia that's going to be an inch that's going to be the real test of what this team's truly made of cuz you know they proved going to duke and going to wake that they can beat tough teams now they went to unc and didn't look fantastic but i think that was more down to unc being as good as they are i mean you don't get like half the us national team is unc grads like right, yeah. there's a reason they're good exactly and they're going to come out against this Virginia team. It's at home. It's the night before break, so there's no classes the next day. I think you're going to get a big crowd at that game, and I think it's. I think they're going to. I don't know if they'll beat. I think if they get at least one point against Virginia, it's a solid result. Yeah, I think there's a real possibility they get all three.
0: That could definitely be a fun one to, uh, to go to as a student.
1: I think if you're a student and you know that Wednesday night you're still on campus, or even if you've made plans already cancel them. go to go to this game it is going to be an amazing one this team is on the verge of something really special and i think one two more games it's really going to click
0: so, so let's move on over to uh to men's soccer yeah. real quick um start a conference play at two and one wins over louisville which was a two one uh win louisville was also ranked and boston college was a one nothing win had that loss at virginia who was number five at the time um two nothing lost there so you know even still not a didn't seem like a bad performance it's, against virginia so
1: it's like i said road games in the acc right they're hard it's always going to be a tough ass to go to places like that and get all three points any point you can get on the road in the acc i know they didn't go on that night but any point you can get on the acc in the road is a big point so i think them losing that game isn't that big of a deal but it's if women if the women's team is fun to watch, so is the men's. They play different styles and the men's team is fun for a different reason. It's because you've got a lot of guys that you wouldn't expect to be the guys that are doing the goal scoring doing it. I mean, you expect your Davi Glorera's, your Gabriel Machados, those guys to be yeah. grabbing all the goals. They're not. It's the center backs. David Norris scored in preseason. Jamie Smith scored in preseason. Jamie Smith is currently the points leader on this team, and he's playing as a center back and a back three. But that's, a lot of that comes down to the fact that he takes set pieces. And he's not only great getting his head on set pieces, he's great taking them and shooting them. He has scored a couple of nice free kicks, one in uh, preseason, one in regular season. He's got two goals. There are three other players tied on two goals, I believe. I think lerera has got two, Pablo grossa has got two, and I think Musquey might have two, but I'd have to check that. But, you know, they're really good and I think the funny thing about this team is if you talk to anybody last year, after last season, and you asked them who was going to be the player to watch in this team, the undoubted answer is Davi Guerra Absolutely. Davi Guerra so has been good. He's fun to watch. Absolutely. But he, I think teams are really, and he gets fouled more than anyone else, and that's part of it. Teams know that when you play state, you watch Davi Guerra mm-hmm. and you try and limit his impact. It's like when the football team was down in Florida State. They shut down the running back for a reason. Yeah, teams go against state and shut down David Lera for a reason, but he's got a great team around him,
0: and great teams find the way to get yeah. the ball elsewhere to score. Well, and that's what exactly is what they're when doing. you've
1: got guys double teaming Laria, somebody else is open, right? And so, but I think the player that has stolen the season for me, it's either Jamie Smith or the guy behind him, Vinny Durand. Vinny Rand, I don't think came into this season expecting to play much because he was behind Leon Krop and he hadn't played a college game yet. He spent two years at James Madison, didn't play. Spent a year at State, didn't play. Redshirted another year. As a redshirt senior this year, I don't think he was expecting to play much at all this year. But he's proven that you know everyone thought when they lost Krop that was going to be that was going to hurt. Yeah, and it undoubtedly does. Cause he's a great player. He
0: is. But last Vinny, year was amazing.
1: He was last year. I got some of his stats here: 59 saves, seven clean sheets, 24 goals allowed in like 20 games. Yeah. That's incredibly solid. You know, he's making two saves for every two plus saves for every goalie lets in. That's a really good stat in soccer. And then Vinny Duran this year, he come in, He's coming. He's impressed me. And he surprised me, but he's fantastic. He had the game winning save against Louisville. He's made a couple other really big saves. And it's not only what he's done on the field that's impressed me. It's what he's done off the field. When you look at when the set the expectation game happened for football and stuff. It was him and James Smith-Williams that were the two that were always mentioned. And he's he just seems like a great guy to have in and around your program and at your university. So I'm glad. As much as you know, I hate to see Leon get hurt, I'm happy to see Vinny get some minutes, even if it's not in the ideal situation. I'm really happy to see him get on the field.
0: Yeah, definitely. So let's uh, real quick do a 30-second version on NC Courage and NCFC because I know you've been covering... Both of them, both of those teams, a lot. So, how are they doing? Um, you know, are they moving into playoffs pretty soon?
1: Yeah. So the Courage are they won the NWL Shield, which for those of you don't know, that's the regular season title. They clinched that a few weeks ago, on a road game. They've been on a little bit of a road trip recently. They're coming back for their last home game of the season, on I want to say the twelfth, but let me double check that real quick. And that'll be uh, against Sky Blue. Yeah, against on the twelfth against Sky Blue. That's the night they'll host the Shield. So that'll be. Really cool if anyone's looking to go and that's Carly Lloyd's team. If you're looking anyone's looking out for big women's national team players coming in. Um but yeah, I think they struggled against Washington, but it was one of the games like they were the better team and just lost. But they'll host a playoff game. The no matter what, the NW saw Championships in Raleigh. So that'll be cool to watch. And they're just a really fun team. They've got a lot of internationals, they've got a lot of exciting players, you know, Crystal Dunn, Dabinia, Jess McDonald. All those players are so much fun to watch. And then NCFC, a little bit closer ties to State when you think about it because they've got three State alums on the team right now. Yeah, Manny Perez had a big week. He did. He's named the Team of the Week this week for USL Championship. He only played 20 minutes, but he grabbed two assists. He was a substitute. He's been battling back from injury the last couple weeks. I think he's fully getting healthy now, and he's looking really good. And him, Nazmi Alwadi grabbed a goal. He's a former NC State guy as well. Caleb DuVernay started last week, didn't play at all this week, but another NC State guy. So it's good to see some former State guys play for the local team. Obviously, Manny's there on loan from Celtic. Nas is there on loan currently, but he's already agreed that at the end of his contract with Cincinnati he's going to resign sign for uh, NCFC and come back full-time, so that'll be really good to see. He's a he's a great guy to have in that team.
0: All right, so let's transition back over to NC State. I'll, I'm going to talk about the cross-country team a little bit. And uh, and the and the cross country team had a pretty good outing at the Adidas Cross Country Challenge on September 21st. Actually, live tweeted it from the Tech Sports Twitter account. They're really fast. They they are. It very makes fast. me feel very very sad. <laughs> no, I I went <laughs> to how
1: I w- slow I am.
0: Yeah, that was a, actually really fun to like go and see because they start off and it's like less than 20 minutes later it's over and it's yeah. it's pretty it's pretty nuts actually. But the women's team finished first and it was not even close. They finished twelve of the top thirteen runners, and that's just it just not completely fair. domination. It was, the women's was a five k. Normally they run a six k, so it was a little bit of a shorter race. But um, senior Ellie Hennis has been on the top of this team for a while now. Finished in sixteen minutes and forty six seconds, and there are a couple of freshmen in second and fourth behind her. And you know, basically, and all across the board, it was it was all NC State now ranked at number eight in the country. I think there's a lot of big expectations for the women's team. Yeah. And, you know, being ranked that high is pretty huge. And I, I think they deserve it. You know, they've they have pretty much all the talent that that they would need to, you know, put together a pretty good run for, for NCAAs, but um but the men didn't quite have the performance they were hoping for. Michigan dominated that the men's race. It was like seven of the top eight or something yeah. or eight of the top nine were Michigan runners, uh, similar to how the women did in the women's race. But, mm-hmm. um, they did finish second. Uh, Joe Bistritz was the fastest runner for NC state, uh, running a six K the men were when they, the normal race length for the men is actually eight K and in some cases, 10 K. Um, so again, it was kind of a modified race, but, uh, Bistritz finished with 18 minutes and nine seconds, and the men fell to fifteenth in the country. I believe they were somewhere around thirteen for before that race. So, but both cross country teams really pretty impressive and should be really something fans are excited about because of how high ranked they are nationally.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those sports that because they never compete really at NC State, like they yeah, never that, really the, here. that's the
0: only home meet they have and doesn't yeah. carry. So,
1: I mean, it was ten minutes from campus. Right. Exactly. But still, it's one of those teams that, like doesn't get I think the love they deserve being as good as they are just because they're they're never here, if that makes sense. Like yeah. no one no one can really go out to support them in a meet. So I feel like a lot of people don't follow them as much as they should. But they're arguably one of the most successful teams at state and will be one of the most successful teams NC State has this year. And
0: historically too yeah. like the last, you know, couple of decades, they've been very it's always very it's good. them,
1: it's swimming and diving. They're always yeah. kind of
0: topping in terms of successful NC State teams when you think about it. So moving on to volleyball. Volleyball has had kind of a tough stretch. They're 5-9 and now and 1-4 and in the last five. They were swept in the SEC-ACC challenge by Georgia and Bama. Melissa Evans, as fans thought, the star of the team.
1: I feel like there's some comparisons you can draw between women's soccer and volleyball here in the sense that the results aren't there, but they have a couple of players that individually are performing really well and that if just a few more key spots start clicking the turnaround's there like the ability to make a turnaround is there it's just whether those other pieces are going to start clicking
0: yeah and i think that you know i think the expectations for volleyball were higher than they performed Mm -hmm. you know in general their lineup looks pretty good and i don't think the team should be quite a five and nine team right now, so I think like women's soccer, maybe not quite as as much, but there is a lot of room to turn that around mm-hmm. in their coming upcoming games. But it'll be interesting to watch them and see how they adapt to the you know challenges they've gone through in the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, speaking of their upcoming game, they've got a big rivalry game next. You know, they're playing UNC Chapel Hill. Right. Yeah. Uh, up up next. And if you want to read any more about or hear any more about specifically some of the players in that matchup, we had a great preview about that go out earlier this week, so be sure to check that out.
0: All right, so moving on, uh, we're going to move to some fall softball baseball. Just starting the fall season, it's a short season. It's like two or three games, for, or two games yeah. for each, I think. Um, but Jake, if you want to talk about you know the softball team and their two games.
2: Yeah, so softball... Uh, they played this past weekend. Um, they beat Lewisburg 17-0, just blew them out of the water, and then tied with Longwood 7-7, a um, small school in Western Virginia. Uh, pretty much for the most part, the same names as usual from last year that carried the offense. Logan Morris against Lewisburg went 4-5 for five with the home run. Uh, Sam Russ racked up multiple hits. April Visser had a home run. But what is nice for softball is, and last year, the lineup was pretty strong. The only problem is... Come the ninth hitter every time and the catcher spot, which was Kelly Wagner who transferred out, but it, it, it was a black hole. It was either a strikeout every time or a weak ground out. They just couldn't figure out. They didn't have another catcher behind Kelly Wagner, so Wagner was able to just stay there the whole time, and that was a big weak spot. They brought in Sam Sack, um, a junior who transferred in from Coastal Carolina and didn't hit that well at Coastal Carolina uh, this past year. Hit two twenty eight. did did hit five home runs though which Jennifer Patrick Swift likes um also had four doubles and is a, pretty much a defensive catcher yeah, though yeah. N- nailed 16 of 27 runners trying wow, to steal that's, a insane that's and softball really good is yeah insane that's insane. That great but against Lewisburg she hit a home run and if softball can figure out cuz they they were pretty much average last year they finished i think 31 and 27 made it to the ACC mm-hmm. tournament semifinals if they can figure out that catcher spot both defensively and offensively I think they'll be pretty good this year, and that's a good sign. Sam no, Sack hitting a home run.
1: I didn't cover much softball at the end of last year, but if I remember correctly, they had a pretty big upset in that AC tournament, right? They beat somebody really good that they were not expected to beat. Yeah, right? they
2: they knocked off Virginia Tech, the number yeah. one seed. Yeah, that's and, what I thought. Yeah. yeah, and then battled with UNC in the semifinals was right. uh, I think it was I think it was a one run game up until the fifth inning. So the, the potential's there they'll have to put it together but jennifer patrick swift second year i mean that's what you want
0: to see you want to see putting up 24 runs in two games that home yeah. run mindset yeah. that mm-hmm. she's come in and really try to implement you saw it last year you know yeah up the home runs like almost doubled i think or something yeah. like that and i would expect a, an increase again this year with you know you know continue to teach that mm-hmm. to to the to the players on the team and you know it seems like Softball, you know, has a chance to to be pretty good. You know, in the spring, it's only the fall, but um, you know, we'll see when that comes around. Um, also on the diamond, uh, baseball had the fifteen to five win over South Carolina at home. That was a twelve inning game. I think my my biggest takeaway from looking at the box score is freshman shortstop Jose Torres, who obviously the big hole with Will yeah. Wilson gone. You yeah. know, that is like the number one problem. I think you know him and Edwards obviously leaving last year. And Torres was a double shy of the cycle, three for five, a run, four RBIs, and what from what I saw on Twitter from some of the national media, it seemed like he. A lot of people are talking about he's the real deal, and that, you know I think he's from Maryland, um, and it just seems like he can come in and just easily pick up where Will Wilson left off.
1: And that that's going to be something tough to do because well, it was first round. How high in the first round was he? He's like
0: teens, high.
1: Yeah, so 15, you're you're, maybe. you're coming in to replace somebody that went incredibly high in the MLB draft, that's gotta be a lot of pressure. And if this game's any indication against South Carolina, who are not by any means a bad team. They're really good. Um, that's impressive to be able to kind of come in and really show like, yeah, I'm he won't be as missed as you think he will be. It's kind of that's kind of a statement from him there.
0: Yeah, it was it's huge. And I think that there you know, coming into this fall, I had no idea who was going to take the short stop. Obviously I knew that you know NC State had this you know freshman guy coming in that was pretty good. Menchik was also a possibility. Yeah. Um, Vojta Menchik, he played mostly third last year and some shortstop when Wilson was out. But you know is is a pretty big question mark because I'm not sure Menchik was quite there with mm. you know with being able to play shortstop. So that's huge. And another guy, Austin Murr, he's a junior transfer from Des Moines Area Community College playing first base, filling that Evan Edwards spot. He went 2 for 3, 2 runs, 2 walks and an RBI in that game. Uh really played well and I'm and I'm excited for both, you know, to see both of them and then, you know, next game is against Wilmington on the 6th, I believe, Yeah. and going into the spring season. So, um pretty pretty yeah. big, you know, stat line from both of them and and really, you know, a positive thing for NC State baseball fans. Another thing, uh Chris Villeman got the start in that game, and I'm not sure if that's like he's our guy, if they just wanted to get freshmen in or not, but he's a freshman from High Point. I actually faced him in high school. He's got a nasty change-up. That, that's nasty pretty funny, actually, up. yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm not surprised at all. He struck out four in two innings. That's pretty good. So, you know, we'll see if, you know, he's actually, you know, going to be a starter and mm. see where he, you know, comes into that, but he is a really good pitcher.
1: One thing, you know, he didn't have a great game, Tyra McDonough, in this Fall fall game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. He went just one for four, but he had a great year last year. And I'm excited to see what he does this year and see how he builds on that. I think he's going to be somebody really exciting to watch again.
0: Yeah. I think he was one of my favorite players to watch last year. You know, he started the season with like some average that was like just insane. We're picking up where Josh McClain basically left off. You know, it was slowed down toward the end of the year, but. Still a really massive part of this offense. He went one for four, had a run and a walk, but I would expect him to just really pick up where he I left mean, off with, you know, more experience than that.
1: You're talking about his offense there, but you have to give credit to his defense too. He was absolutely great in center field. And I think that's the position I like watching the most in baseball defensively. Like I, I will admit I don't watch that much baseball, but I really like watching when a center fielder sprints about, you know, 50 60 feet and makes a diving catch. I don't think I like anything more than that in baseball. Yeah. It's funny, it
2: was about 10 years ago. Our center fielder, Brett Williams, was number one play on Sports Center for a diving catch. I, in center I remember field.
1: that he actually. And yeah. dove
0: and flipped and caught it. Yeah, I do remember that.
1: Didn't Tyler McDonough have a top play this year?
0: I for... think he did. I want to say he did, going to back, you know, straight back into the yeah. center. Yeah. He had some really great catch, I think, was, was there. S-
1: speaking of. Yeah, Sports Center top plays. Shout out to men's soccer's Tyler Gabara. That was pretty his, big. his second the second goal, goal against Louisville the other day. He got I think it was the
0: number ten spot in the morning yeah, after. I think it was. So big shout out to him for that. So to finish up baseball, you know Luca Tresh, He started at DH, caught after uh, you know Brad Debo came out of the game. Patrick Bailey didn't play. I you know think it's because he's hurt. You know it seems like that would be the only reason that he wouldn't play yeah. in this game. You're, you know it it's only two fall games so you'd like to have him in there but you know what you're going to get from Patrick Bailey I I've, yeah. I've seen some like early M- MLB draft stuff that have him in the top 10 picks and you know switch in and catcher gr- plus defense plus arm plus power plus speed like like it plus, seems plus, like plus 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 exactly it's like it seems like that would be a pretty good, a pretty good choice, pretty early in the draft. But Luca Tresh went three for five, three runs, two RBIs, so pretty big game from him. I think I might see him in the DH spot. And um, one of the bigger questions from last year were the corner outfield spots. It seemed like Tatum kind of um, started in right field, played a lot there. Devontae Brown started in left, moved to right. Um, a guy that could be interesting is Noah Souls. He's also a freshman. Um, I don't remember exactly where he fr- where he's from. It might be in the high point area as well. But he plays center field. I think I've heard that he's going to be really good as well. Mm-hmm. And that could be a guy that maybe steps into a corner spot later in the year. Um, yep. And Villamin actually came in and played left field after he pitched. So that was really interesting. He actually mm-hmm. went one for two with a run. Nice. So um, not really sure if we're gonna see him hitting at, at all. I don't remember him hitting that much in high school, but you know, as when you're that good of a pitcher, you're probably po anyway. Yeah. Um, but that'll be really interesting. NC State threw, you know, a number of pitchers. I think they threw nine different pitchers. None of them it's, pitched more than two innings.
1: That's what you'd expect from a fall game. Yeah. Kind of you know,
0: take a look at everybody. I would expect that against Wilmington as well. So
1: I, obviously he didn't play at all in the fall games. But you know who I want to see more of come spring. Thayer yeah.
0: Thomas. <laughs> I, I, just, I enjoy watching
1: him. Uh, and look, he's proved he's got an arm. And he play, got drafted the by the Red Sox. Exactly. Yeah, that was pretty funny. And he got drafted. He's already thrown a touchdown for football this year. <laughs> That's true. Give me more Thayer Thomas. He hit a home
0: run last year, I think. I so, can't get
1: enough Thayer Thomas. That's all I'm saying. I love I'm watching a, Thayer I love Thomas, watching
0: just in general. There. He should start a quarterback. I can talk about baseball for a while, but we're going to cut it <laughs> off there considering it's only the fall game. You know, in the spring, we'll get more into that, but... That's all that we have for you guys today. So really appreciate you guys listening. Again, I'm your host, technician sports editor Camden Spate. I'm assistant sports editor Jake Cacavaro.
1: And I'm assistant sports editor Nicholas Schnecker.
0: And be ready for our football episode coming out later this week.